Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to open it to the book of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start out uh, reading a brief verse out of the book of John, but you go ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to spend the bulk of our time there. While they're taking their seats, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the freedom that's found in him. Father, we do thank you that uh, you always have a plan, and Father, that your plan is trustworthy and true. And Father, we pray that uh, as we go through the rest of this service, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and our lives. And Father, I pray especially now uh, that you would feed your people. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've been walking through uh, characteristics of a disciple of Christ, uh, and hopefully you've still got that sheet handy somewhere. They're in the exits uh, to the building, and you can keep up with uh, the different characteristics uh, of a disciple. We talked about that there are uh, multiple commands, over 300 commands of Christ, and that on that piece of paper, they've all been boiled down into about 10. And so we've been walking through what it means to be a follower of Christ, and uh, we come up on love today. And so we'll be talking about love. And just to, to jog your memory, uh, we talked probably six, eight months ago. We were walking through a series called Disciple. And we were, we were saying that the word Christian isn't used in the scriptures but three times. And it's only used uh, in a negative fashion. Uh, it's kind of used with some disdain to describe a group of people. Uh, it's never used uh, by followers of Christ to describe themselves. It's always a term that's put on us. And so now we're in the book of Luke, and this is the uh, passage that we... Actually, we're not in the book of Luke yet, I'm sorry. We're in John chapter 13, and this was the passage that we used while we were walking through that series. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples... If you have love for one another. And so for about eight weeks there, we went over and over and over. And we said, gang, the world is going to know that we're followers of Christ by the way we love one another. The way we love one another is going to scream to the world that we're followers of Christ. And so the way that we love each other should be so profound. It should be so intimate. It should be so deep that the world sees the way we interact with each other. And they know that there's something different about us. And they know that we're followers of Christ. You following me? We've got another eight-week series coming if you're not following me, right? We already, we already cooked that chicken. And so they're going to know that we're his disciples by the way we love one another. And then on the last sermon of that series, we talked about the word love. When I was looking back at that series, I kind of thought we maybe should have led with what the word love means instead of just assuming we all did. But then we went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we started in verse 4, and we walked through what love meant. And so this is going to be a little bit of a repeat, but we're going to go a different direction because... We all know that we're supposed to love one another. Like we've all hopefully, not saying we've got it down pat, but we all know that we're supposed to love one another. And it's in your brains now that the way that the world is going to know we're disciples of Christ is by the way we love one another. But we want to look at what love is. And then I want to show you some of the commands of Christ concerning love. And these are the ones that I think maybe hold us back a little bit. And so let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act become unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so as we talk about love, I just want you to know that the word love in general has been hijacked by the world to mean something totally different than, than this right here. The word love, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, is a feeling, right? The only time it's used as a noun is used when you're talking to someone who is my love, right? So you've got, it's a feeling word, I love you, I feel this way about you, but that is totally different than the biblical definition of love. And you may think, well, now you're just getting into semantics, it doesn't really matter uh, if the world takes that word or not, but this is a big deal. And listen to why this is a big deal. Over in the book of, um, uh, over in the book of, shucks, I didn't write it down. Uh, yeah, I did. Over in the book of First John chapter 4 verse 8, says this, the one who does not know God... The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so if God is love, then our definition of love matters big time because God is wrapped up in what our definition of love is. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 one more time, looking at what love is because it's a big deal. Because if God is love, then you don't get to change who God is. Right? God is eternal. He's unchangeable. He's all of these big things that we put on Him, but we can't change the definition of who He is. And so we as followers of Christ have got to wrap our mind around, biblically speaking, what love is, because that's who God is. Following me? You see why this is a big deal? It's not just a, a, a play on words. And so let's go here. We've talked about before the different ways we use the word love. We throw it around haphazardly. We love uh, whatever our wife fixes for dinner, right? Like we, so we love hot dogs. We love our kids. We love each other. And then we love our spouses. And the way that we feel towards each of those four different things are totally different, right? I definitely love you guys. Without a shadow of a doubt, you can take it to the bank. I love you guys. I feel way different about you than I do hot dogs, right? Just saying that I, if, if we did love hot dogs. And listen, and truth be told, I hope this is no surprise to you, but despite how much I love you, I feel so much different in love towards my wife than I feel towards you. To which most of you go, good. <laughs> so this is just how many different ways we use the word love, but we are commanded to love each other as Christ loved us, and the world's going to know we're disciples by the way we love each other. And so let's just walk through what love is one more time. And before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and do things a little bit different. Go over to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians. I want you to see why we're doing this. Because there's, there's another way that Jesus uses the word love. And so he uses, it a, uses love as a command in two different ways. He says, love each other. And then he says in Matthew, chapter 5, verse 44... He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so now I love hot dogs, I love you, and I love my wife, and I love my enemies also. That's, that's a whole, that adds a whole other element into this word love, right? Because now you can tell that if it's a feeling you got to be a pretty top-notch guy to have the same feeling towards your enemies, hot dogs, and your spouse. Most days, right? Most days? Come on, loosen up just a little bit. And so now you flip over a couple more books to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. 
We're in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, I'll read it for you for the sake of time. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 says this. This is Jesus speaking again, and he's using the word love in a command. And he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, skip down to verse 35, and then he says it again. He says, but love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Listen to that one more time, that verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And so brothers and sisters, this command to love is overwhelmingly difficult because it is not in your nature to do good and to love your enemies to lend to them expecting nothing in return like that's not a normal thing think of the list of enemies you have in your mind hopefully it's a very short list hopefully hopefully truth be told you don't have any enemies but just give it some thought as to the people who would be at the bottom of your list uh, of people you're friendly with and the command is to do good to them to love them to lend to them expecting nothing in return Like, we're really good about lending and being kind to people who are kind to us, aren't we? Like, we're really good at that. Like, if somebody's good to you, you'll be good right back to them. Those of you who who do good things and nice things to me and for me, man, it is so easy to do it right back at you. But man, there's there's people who sometimes are difficult to get along with. There's people who are are tough to have conversations with. I'm not saying that anymore here. I'm just saying that you know as well as I do, those people exist. And it's tough sometimes. Like, we've got neighbors, we've got people on our street, people on our block, that are just tough nuts to crack, we call them. You call them that at your house? They're tough to show love to. They're not receptive. Uh, they don't show you any love. Uh, generally speaking, they, they show you angst and, and don't like you very much. Uh, I mean, how, come on. How could you how could you do that? But but you know these people. But we're, listen, we're commanded to love them and to do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And listen to this. This is why... This is why you can love them and expect nothing in return. Because your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And so listen, gang. At times, you are most like Christ when you are loving people who are unlovable and you get nothing in return. So when you walk into the store and someone approaches you who is unloving to you, but they ask you for money. And you know you're never going to get that money back. You know that whatever dollar bill you pull out, uh, whatever uh, value it has, is gone the second you give it to them. At times, you have never been more like Christ when you've given to somebody who is not going to repay you. Because he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Listen to this, gang. The only way that we have any power to do that is through the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. And the only reason that that Christ is able to command us to do something like that, that God is able to command us to do something like that, is because primarily God sent His Son to this earth to die for us while we were evil sinners. Right? We weren't begging for Christ to come to this earth. Right? 
He came while we were sinners and he died for us. And it says, greater love hath no man than he lay down his life. Okay? And so God loved all of us so much that he sends his son Christ to lay down his life while we're against him and while we're combative towards him. Because listen, before you got saved, don't fool yourself to thinking that you were a good person because you weren't. Like, no man is good except God, right? Jesus clearly says that. And so whatever background you came from, if you were raised in church and all of those other things, don't think that made you a good person. You were still riddled with sin and you were combative towards the things of God until Christ came into your life and saved you. And that was all of us. And Christ died for you while you were in that combative stage against him. Why? Because he loved you. He loved you. And now he commands us to give that same sort of love towards other people. And so let's walk through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. And let's walk through these characteristics of love. And we've said in the past, this is, this is from a time past when we talked, that who's the person that you can think of that you love the absolute most in this life? If you're married, you're going to probably say your spouse, right? Uh, maybe... Maybe your spouse isn't the person you love the most in life. Maybe a parent is the person you love most in life, right? Maybe it's a sibling is the person you love most in life. So each of these people are going to fit the bill for what we're trying to do. Think about that individual when we're walking through love. I told you that normally in any sort of pre-marriage counseling, if you ask a couple, why do you want to get married? They'll look at each other and grin and they'll say, because we love each other, right? That's what you would have said, right? Was your definition of love based off God's definition of love? Or was your definition of love based off a Nicholas Sparks definition of love? Probably the latter. Because listen to this. Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. And it's not arrogant. So think about that love that you have with that individual that you love more than anyone else in the world. Love is patient. It's long-suffering. It's not getting upset. It's sympathetic. Just this morning... Did you show love in that avenue to that individual? Were you patient with them when they weren't in the car on time? Were you, were you long-suffering with them? Were you not getting upset with them? Then maybe some of you uh, love your kids more than anyone else in the world. Were you patient with your kids? Were you long-suffering with your kids when they couldn't find X, Y, or Z? I've told you before that it amazes me how a kid can walk into the house with two shoes and then not be able to find shoes at all, right? Or if, if you don't have three children that are close to each other in age, you're missing out because, and if you're not coming from a family where you were one of three kids, you can wear your siblings' shoes and as long as you make it out of the house first, they'll never know until you get where you're going and so you're safe. Like, I've learned that lesson lately. So it's not just enough to get shoes on, it's get your own shoes on so that we can avoid a whole other argument when we get where we're going. Okay? So, is the person that you love, are you patient to them? Are you long-suffering with them? Do you not get upset with them? And are you sympathetic towards them? Because all this is love, Right? So love is patient. Love is kind. Love is willing to come alongside someone to help them and support them. Do you feel that way towards the person that you love most in life? Or is it burdensome when that person isn't able to keep up their end of the deal? Right? When you first get married, each person, generally speaking, is in good health. Right? 
you're almost able to get married with a mutual contract. You keep up with your stuff. I'll keep up with my stuff. We'll live happily ever after. But once you're married for a while, you realize that someone's health can deteriorate pretty quickly. And then love comes alongside that person and helps them and supports them. And that's love. And so is that the way that you feel towards that individual? Or when they can't keep up their end of the bargain, do you get frustrated with them and, and get, then you become not patient with them? Love is jealous. Excuse me, love is not jealous. Uh, jealousy is to have a desire to want uh, or to covet. Do you find yourself jealous of that individual? Generally speaking, we don't, we don't have that problem as much within our, within our marriages. But then love doesn't brag. Love doesn't brag and is not arrogant. And you may think, well, I don't have a problem with bragging and I don't have a problem with being arrogant. Well, how's that measure up when you begin to have some sort of argument, right? When you start to argue, then does, does a bragging spirit come out of you? Bragging is to boast above others. Do you ever elevate yourself for the sake of argument so that you can show yourself greater than that person you love in the midst of an argument? It happens quickly. It's not arrogant. Arrogant is to be prideful or to think too highly of yourself. When you get to arguing with the one that you love, do you think highly of yourself and less highly of them? Here's the question. Are you always right when you argue? Like it, it wouldn't be an argument if they realized you were right, right? Like there wouldn't be anything to argue about. If the person would just realize that you're always right, there would be no arguing, right? Love doesn't... Love doesn't think of itself too highly, right? There's, there's no one in any relationship that you have who always does everything perfect. It just doesn't happen. You mean, <laughs> that's the first time that a look has ever thrown me off from somebody. That was a good, I'm not going to look at him again. They'll give me another look, but there really isn't. I promise you. There's no one who is perfect in everything that they do, despite what they think. Now, that, that was not a, that was not a jab. I mean that. So let's keep going. Love doesn't act unbecoming. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked to act unbecoming. Love doesn't act rude or behave in an unpleasant manner. Now, let's just let's just take a, a survey. Like, don't raise your hand. Just think to yourself. If you were to gauge how much you love your spouse or your children or your parents based on this list so far. If you had to go through each one of these things and give yourself a scale, on a scale of one to ten, one being low, ten being you, you excel at it, where would your love be on a scale of one to ten for the individuals you love most? You go, wow, man, if I judge it on that scale, it might not be as good as I thought it was. But listen, love doesn't un- act unbecomingly it's not rude it doesn't behave in an unpleasant manner it doesn't seek its own love is not about self when you love someone it's not about what you can gain from the relationship love is what you can give to the relationship that's why marriages only work if it's a hundred a hundred instead of fifty fifty because if you're giving 50, you want 50 in return. Your marriage and your, your relationships of love are only going to work if you're all in, not worried about what you're getting back. That's the only way that it works. Because we are naturally selfish. We naturally bend towards 50-50. And then we want to give 40, 30, 10 and get everything in return. That's just who we are. But love isn't like that. Love doesn't seek its own. It's not about self. Love doesn't take into, excuse me, love is not provoked. It doesn't get angry. It doesn't get excited in an angry way. 
We'll keep going. So it's not arrogant. It's not unbecoming. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. This is a tough one for anyone who loves anybody. Because what seems to happen when we get into arguments? And it's just natural to happen. For some reason, arguments are just as natural as anything else you do. You ever get into an argument with someone? Listen, don't read into this too much, okay? But you ever, you ever get into an argument with someone and you think, wow, was that individual keeping a Rolodex of everything that I've ever done wrong in order just to bring it up right now? You ever thought that? Or have you ever been wronged and then you gave that person your Rolodex of things that they had done wrong? Like I take it by all the blank stares. Yeah, that's generally speaking where we go to, right? It's almost like we're in a court case and we're trying to charge the, the, the person on trial with being untrustworthy because of all of these other offenses that they've done also. And so love doesn't do that. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It chooses to forget and move on. Wouldn't your life be so much easier if when you apologize, if when you ask for forgiveness, you were able to move on and everyone was able to forgive and leave all that behind and move on to a fresh beginning? Wouldn't that be nice? That's what Christ did for you, right? When you came to the cross, when you confessed your sin, when you put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, he forgave you of all of your unrighteousness, and he set you off on a new start and made you brand new. And then, inevitably, if you're like me or, or, or the person sitting next to you, you screwed up at some point, and then you asked for forgiveness again, and then he forgave you, and he allowed you to move on like it never happened. And that's what Christ does for you on a continual basis. If you'll confess your sin, he's faithful, and he'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. Why shouldn't we do that exact same thing for the people that we love the most? Good question, right? And then you keep going through this, uh, through this love. It doesn't, it's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It doesn't rejoice with unrighteousness. It doesn't rejoice when something that's wrong or evil doing. It rejoices in the truth. It rejoices when things are being done God's way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It bears all things. It bears with people. You ever just, every once in a while, wish someone would bear with you just for a little while? You ever been there? You owe it to the people that you love to bear with them for a little while because you might not know everything that's going on. The old adage that uh, you can't really know what's going on until you walk a mile in someone's shoes, that still happens with your spouse even though you think you know them better than they know yourself. Even with your kids, it's, it's very impossible to know everything going on inside of someone's head and what's going on in their life, no matter how well you know them. Because there's always times when you're not around. And so it, it, uh, it bears all things. Love, in, in bearing all things, it conceals the faults of others. So love doesn't put someone's negative aspects on display, but it conceals them, it bears with them. It doesn't voice things out in the open. It believes all things. It has faith in and trust. Love believes in people, and love trust people it's an aspect of love it hopes all things it fully expects it endures all things it remains under pressure 
And so it stays good under pressure, enduring all things. Love, then finally, never fails, and it's eternal just like God. Because why? Because love, God is love. And so we've walked through all these things with people that we love the most, right? Now let's briefly, and I mean this briefly, let's walk back through that list one time and think of the people who are your enemies, right? How do you do measuring up with your enemies? Because you're not just commanded to, for us to love each other, but we're commanded to love those people who persecute us. We're commanded to love those people who may not pay us back. And so let's briefly walk through it. Let's say that you leave here, right? We've all left and we all go to a store. You pick your store that you go to. You're either going to go to a restaurant. You're going to go to the grocery store to pick up some food and cook when you get home. And then someone approaches you that doesn't have a good reputation. You following me? Like we're all in this together. And, and if you're like me, those people approach you usually once a week, right? You get approached by somebody in town about something and they want something from you. And so whoever it is, regardless of their background, we need to show them love, right? Because the Bible commands us to show them love. You're commanded to love each other. We're commanded to love our enemies. And then there's a passage that we didn't get to for the sake of time where a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And that's when Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan, right? He tells the man, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And the man goes, well, who's my neighbor? And he walks through the story of the Good Samaritan and your neighbor is the one who you show mercy to or who needs mercy, Right? And so you've got an individual who's your neighbor, who's an enemy, and they need something from you. And they're never going to repay you back. They're going to take it. And generally speaking, in our context, the individual that approaches you in need needs some sort of drugs. Right? I, I went through my mind, and I was thinking about all the people who ask me for things in our community. And if I was just going to be honest and... and and not be nice, but just be genuine and honest and assess the situation. The majority of the people who ask me for things uh, have misused the money that they have and they need drugs. That's the bottom line. And so it doesn't say anything in here that we're supposed to, that there's a caveat, right? You following me? There's still an individual. There's still someone who is loved by God. There's still someone whose sins can all be forgiven at the cross and they're in need. And so let's take those individuals who want things from us in our community. And let's walk through this. How do we show them love? Love is patient. When that person approaches you and they want something from you, are you patient with them? This list hurts worse now, doesn't it? Like it was bad when we were talking about our loved ones and our spouses and our friends. Now it's getting even worse. Were you patient with them? Were you long-suffering? Did you not get upset with them? And were you sympathetic with them? That's a tough question to answer. You see, you can treat everyone with love without giving them exactly what they want. Love is kind. It's willing to come alongside someone and help them and support them. So I'm not even talking about at this point, did you give them what they were asking for, but did you love them? Were you kind to them? Are you willing to come alongside them and support them? Oftentimes, if you look back at that parable of the Good Samaritan, we are, and this is so convicting, um, I hate, I'm even saying this. Oftentimes, it is so natural for us to sidestep someone, to go into a different door of a store, or to need to go to that store now, but you know you're going to be approached by somebody, and so you go somewhere else as a first stop, 
and then you come back there hoping they're gone by the time you get back. Ever been there? Listen, gang, when we do that, we are just like that priest who walked on the other side of the ditch and didn't pay any attention to what was going on over there. And that cuts like a knife. Because I do that. Because sometimes I get tired of helping people. When I say tired of helping people, what I really mean is get tired of people who I feel like are milking the system, who are abusing the help that we're giving them. But listen, if we're going to love those individuals, if we're going to love them, we're going to be patient with them, and we're going to be kind to them. And this is impossible to do in the flesh. This is something we can only do if we're working out of the love that the Father's given us. Jealous. Love isn't jealous. Love doesn't brag. And so when we do give in and help that individual, uh, if we're genuinely loving them, we're not going to brag about it. We're just going to help them because we want to help them. Love doesn't act unbecoming. Listen to this. Love isn't rude and it doesn't behave in an unpleasant manner. Boy. I've run people off before. I mean, I have absolutely run people out of my yard before. And you think, golly, you're a bad person. You don't know the situation, right? So you don't know the context, so lay off just a minute. But listen, I have, I have run people away that are asking for something. Love isn't rude. Like, there's a way to run somebody away without being rude to them. I may have crossed the line into to being rude. Okay? I really may have. Love isn't rude. It doesn't act or behave in an unpleasant manner. It doesn't seek its own. And so when you're going to show someone love, it's not about you. And so oftentimes when we're looking at helping people, it's are you going to pay me back? Right? Am I going to get whatever I gave you? What's the return on the investment that I'm making in you? Love doesn't seek its own. It's not about you. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you're giving to it. And that's a tough one. Because oftentimes we look at things like God works by the same economy that we work by, right? We think about we're wasting money when we do X, Y, or Z. And in the very first passage we read, we've often said that blessed is the one who gives and doesn't expect anything back because great is your reward in heaven. Guys, sometimes we get so earthly minded, we forget about what Christ has told us to do. And so for those same individuals, love doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. So it doesn't get angry. Man, it's so easy to get angry with people when all they do is they want to want to sponge things off of you, and they're they're not using what they should be. They're not using what they should be using the way that you think it should be used. Man, it's easy to get frustrated with people. And then love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Oh, this was tough enough with someone that we loved, but someone who is an enemy or a neighbor who's not making decisions that we think they should be making. If we're really going to love people, love isn't going to take into account. A wrong suffered. And so that means, just like we don't want those people using that Rolodex against us, we don't get to use that Rolodex against them about, well, last time you didn't do this. Last time you didn't do that. That's tough. That's what love is. Love doesn't rejoice in... Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. We said that one. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. And so... Listen to this one. This is tough too. This is even tough to say. So when you see something not working out for somebody, right? And you go, yeah, they got what they deserved. Ooh, that is not love at all. Love doesn't say, you got what you deserved. Because wow, do you think God would have sent Christ here to save us from our sins? Or do you think he should have just said, ooh, yeah, you got what you deserved. 
Man, listen, gang. I am overwhelmed on a daily basis that I am glad that Bobby Struther never got what he deserved. I'm really glad about that. And that is a very, very humbling thing. Because we are not always at our best. Like, there are days where I think, man, I wish I'd get what I deserve. And then there are days where, boy, most days I'm glad I'm not getting what I deserve because it, it wouldn't be as good as it is right now. And so you keep going through the list. And we're thinking about those people who are not necessarily our enemies, but our neighbors. Love bears all things. Love rejoices with the truth. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And it never fails. And so how are you at bearing with the people who are tough to bear with? It gets even harder. How are you in believing in the people that are tough to believe in? Guys, everybody who's lost... Everybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ as their Savior. Everybody who's strung out on choose your drug, choose your hang-up, habit, anything. Everybody in that situation who is our neighbor or our enemy, they need someone to believe in them. And what I'm telling you is really, really hard to do. Because we are so easy to give up on people and to push them to the side. But we need to be a group of people who believe in others, not just believing that it'll be okay, not just believing that, well, somehow it'll work out, but believing that when that person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the one who fixes everything in their life. That it's not just going to get better on their own. Just you helping them isn't going to make it better on their own. But their problem is that they're dead in their trespasses and sin. Like you think they need money now, right? You think that they need money to get by, but they don't. They need to be forgiven of their sin, just like you needed to be forgiven of their sin. And then they might need a little bit of money. But we've got to believe in them and we've got to bear with them so that we can have an opportunity for the gospel to be meaningful in their life. And so you keep going. It hopes all things. Are you hopeful that those individuals will, will, will be cleaned up through the cross and then get their life back in order? Are you hopeful that that'll happen? Or do you find yourself, and this is convicting again, hoping that they'll leave you alone instead of hoping that Christ will come into their life, radically save them, and and give them eternal life in heaven? Man, like when I'm in my office and I'm studying, like when I'm reading the Word, I'm like, yeah, I hope they get saved. But when I'm busy and I'm behind schedule on some things and then I'm confronted by someone who needs something, who is tough to deal with, man, at those times, I just hope they go away. And that's not love, gang. And I'm giving you this story, maybe not out of love, but hoping that you might be in the same situation and you can really relate and and, and bear with me here and that we can together be loved to the people we need to be loved to. Love endures all things and it never fails. Love never gives up. And aren't you glad that Christ never gave up on you? I sure am. They say it takes the average person seven to nine times of hearing the gospel before they give their life to Christ. Aren't you glad that Christ isn't one and done? Like, oh, we tried. We tried. We tried. So often, that's how we are with people that we help in our community. We helped them once. We helped them twice. We helped them three times. Ah, they're not really coming around. But gang... There is no telling how much God had to beat on you before he got you where he wanted you to be. 
And we need to be the type of people who love our neighbors and we love our enemies and we love those who persecute us. Why? Because the way that we love each other is going to show people that we're truly disciples. And this is what we're going to wrap up with. I think this is an area that we as a church, and this is not just Keshah Baptist Church, but this is the greater church as a whole. This is an area that I think that we're very weak at, right? That people in the outside world should see the way that we love and they should know that something is different about us and that should drive them to wanting to know more about Christ, right? You you all with me? That's a biblical principle. Well, the only way that that's going to work is if we truly do the radicalness that love calls for. Lend to people who can't pay back to you. Bless those who persecute you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. These are all acts of love. And they're all unexplainable. Why in the world would you do something that stupid? It's a valid question, right? You ever read through the Beatitudes and gone, Jesus, why in the world would you say something like that? That's ridiculous. You ever, you ever done that? You've never read the Beatitudes. You just, you've just, uh, you've just given yourself away. But there are tough things in the Beatitudes that Jesus says. And you go, how in the world could I ever live up to this? And the reality is, is that if we did live up to it, then the world might look to us for the, for the answer that's within. Then we might be able to give a reason that we have the hope that we have. But gang, I think as a whole, Christianity, followers of Christ are failing in the area of love. Not just towards each other, but towards our enemies and towards our neighbors. And part of the reason is because we're so busy. We've got the sin of busyness in our life. We don't really have time to love people. But it's our love that is going to show people that we're truly followers of Christ. And so, hopefully, gang, we'll all spend some time in prayer this week. Seeing how we're doing in the area of love and loving others. And just remember that this love that Jesus is talking about, this isn't a suggestion, right? This is a command. Love your enemies. Love each other. This is something that we're supposed to do. And none of this is feeling. These are all actions. And if, you, if, you're, if you're doing good, and uh, there's about 16 of these things that Paul lists as a description of love... If you're doing 15 of them and you're failing in one area, that's not love at all. You ever had somebody do all of these things towards you, right? But they were ugly about it. And then you go, well, that wasn't love. Well, they only missed out on one aspect of it. And the reality is, gang, this is a package deal. We've got to be all of these things, not just some of them. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. I want you to uh, do some self-reflection. Uh, pray about how you're doing in the area of love, not just towards your spouse, uh, not just towards your kids or your parents, but how are you doing towards your neighbor? How are you doing towards your enemies? And then let's, as a group, decide that we want to be folks who love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as always. Father, I pray that we would be your church who loves others the way that you love us. Father, I pray that you would give us the resources we need, mainly the strength and your Holy Spirit to help us love people who in the past we may have considered unlovable. Help us to love our spouses and our kids and our parents. Help us to love them so much. Help us to set the bar so high with love that it naturally overflows into other people in our lives. Father, I pray that we would be a group of people who love our neighbors instead of dodging our neighbors. I pray that we would be a group of people who uh, 
who aren't too busy to see our neighbor in the ditch and pass by on the other side and leave him alone. But Father, I pray we'd be like that good Samaritan who helps his friend who nobody else cared about. Lord, I pray that we would be the people uh, who act in such a way towards our enemies uh, that they have to stop and ask why we're doing the things that we're doing. And Father, I pray most of all that you would help strip us of our American mindset of making good decisions as being godly. But Lord, help us to make decisions that the world sees as foolish. Help us to lend without expecting things in return so that we can store up treasures in heaven. Father, that doesn't make any sense in our economy, but help that to be the type of Christ followers we are. Lord, we love you. Lord, we pray that you would do great things amongst us. And Father, I pray that you would teach us how to love as you loved. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand for us for our hymn of invitation. While John's coming forward, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if the love that I'm talking about seems foreign to you, uh, I would love to introduce you uh, to Christ during our invitation. And so I'd invite you to come forward. John? Well, it's good to see you all today. Uh, always good to, to see you here at church. I pray that uh, you'd have a great week. I, I pray that uh, the Lord would show you how you can show love uh, to those around you, uh, even the folks that are tough to love at times. Also, I'd covet your prayers for my wife. She's still uh, in Africa on behalf of our church. Uh, she ought to be home Friday evening. And so pray that this is the fastest week that the world has ever seen. Uh, that would be uh, my prayer for you to pray for me. And so uh, that being said, uh, things are going great for her over there. Uh, hopefully not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, uh, she'll be able to share uh, all sorts of pictures and uh, stories with how things went over there and some opportunities for us to get involved. And so I want to invite you a week and a half from now uh, to Wednesday night. Uh, be a part of uh, what she's going to share with us. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us in prayer?